Welcome into the Otson Audible's podcast, Matt Prem, Jared Mack on the show. No Eric Scopel today, but in his place, we replace him with someone better. Uh, Brandon Huffman of 24-7 Sports is on the show. Brandon, thanks for coming on. Love to talk to you about some Morgan football recruiting, which is going to be the entirety of this podcast. Hey, Eric. Sorry, man. I may have Wally pitched you here. <laughs> Uh, Brandon, let's go back uh, earlier this week. Um, Kenyon Sadiq gave his commitment to Oregon. was a big surprise because that day in, in the morning, Oregon really wasn't even in his top three that he provided to 24-7 sports um, and everybody else. What can you tell us about how his surprise commitment to Oregon happened? And then also just – in a world of surprises, where does this land uh, in your eyes from a, just an out-of-the-blue commitment to Oregon? Yeah, I mean, it's not D'Anthony Thomas announcing for Oregon on right. signing day level, but in 2022, with the way social media really covers the entire recruiting process like it does, it's pretty damn surprising. And, and it was, you know, you got to go back to about April. And in April, Kenyon took an unofficial visit to Oregon and visited Oregon State, but he took an unofficial visit to Oregon. And in an article I wrote shortly after that, I wrote that that visit, you know, was a big one for him because he was offered by Oregon. He got to talk with Junior Adams, but that was his favorite school growing up. That it was a childhood dream come true because that was his favorite school that he used to always watch. So you always knew that Oregon had a chance, but then as we got to May and June and he started locking in official visits, Oregon looked to be on the outside looking in. The other school that I always thought was going to have a really big chance at him was Utah, given that they went into Idaho Falls last year, got a four-star in Tal Johnson, who's a friend of Kenyon's, and then Stanford, you know, because Stanford, you always have to Stanford. take into account in the recruitment. Well, yep. he names the top three. Well, first, he names his official visits to Iowa State, Michigan, and Washington. Then he names the top three. Then it becomes a final three. So we're operating under the guise of the last two weeks. It's going to be Iowa State, Michigan, or Washington. And it was about Saturday afternoon where I started to get some rumblings. Hey, there could be a shocker here being pulled. And I vetted it. And ultimately, it was Oregon. We had the quotes right when he announced it. And I just kept going back to you know, they might not have been in his top three. They might not have been in his final three, but that was the childhood favorite. This isn't like it was a yeah. school that came out of nowhere that there was no affinity for. Oregon had been in it, but it really seemed like once he, you know, and that was the other thing. He never set a date far out. You know, a lot of kids now, they'll say, I'm announcing yeah. on, you know, September 20th, which is six weeks. He didn't announce it until Saturday morning that he was going to announce on Monday. So while it might have been a final three, he never updated his final three, but for all we know, in those last three or four days leading up to before he tweeted it, Oregon might have started to make their push, and there was a couple of factors at play with Oregon. You know, Junior Adams, who was the original recruiter, coached two of Kenyon's trainers at Boise State, but Drew Maringer was really who ramped it up, recruited him as a tight end, and I think once Kenyon became in, you know, a couple of the schools that are in his final three were saying tight end, some were saying big receiver. But I think when he kept going back to the childhood favorite and Oregon talking up how they can develop him, that's what ultimately swayed him. And Oregon ended up pulling off at least out West in, in 2023's class. I would say this is probably the most surprising 
announcement, surprising commitment I've seen in this cycle out in the West region. From Idaho, it's not a state that a lot of people instantly think of of good football, but this is a four-star guy. We've got him in the top 150 um, on 24-7 sports. Who is he? What what is Oregon expecting to have as a player when he gets here and for the ahead of the twenty twenty three season? I mean, he he's really really special. He's one of those guys that you know. I, I think because he's in Idaho, maybe the national perception of him isn't as great as it would be if he played at a St. John Bosco or a De La Salle. But there's a reason he's in the top one fifty nationally. You know, we've got him the highest in the industry. He is a player that could be an elite safety or growing an outside linebacker if you wanted to play defense he can be an elite pass catcher as either a flexed out or a a tight end a flex whatever he's just a a special football player and he's the highest rated player to come from the state of idaho since tommy tungiai in the 2018 class ultimately went on to ohio state started on their defensive line when they played for the national championship now plays for the cleveland browns you know Players like him don't come from Idaho very often. And you look at the production that he has. That's another thing. You know, he's not just a guy that has – he passes the eye test. His production has been fantastic at Skyline High School. You know, he was a big reason they won the state championship last year. Um, he's a player that once – you know, he I remember when he had his first four offers, they were all big Sky offers. And one of the schools um, sent me a message saying, hey, don't write about him. We're trying to keep him a secret. <laughs> uh, about a week later, I see him on seventh turn. I seen him last summer at, at the, uh, the rare showcase, which is where he really got on my map. But I go to the seven on seventh turn. I text the coach back, said, "Sorry, dude, the secret's getting out." And about a week after that, he runs a a ten eight hundred. And I'm like, at that point, you know, sorry, small FBS schools, forget Big Sky. This kid's a national recruit, and slowly but surely, the Power Five offers started coming in. And he ended up in the position where he was. You know, he's 6'3", he's 220 pounds, he's a sub-1100 meter guy as a junior, can play on both sides of the ball. I mean, this is a kid that really the only question that's going to be with him is, you know, what position he plays right away. Now, obviously, Oregon's bringing him in as a tight end, but that's what you got to love players like that, that they're so good. Your biggest question is like, hey, where can we maximize his value because he checks every single other box. Brandon, I just want to say, you know, thanks again for hopping on the Outside Audible's podcast. It's it's been a while since we've had you on. So I just first wanted to start with what your thoughts are on on Oregon's class so far. Top fifteen, um, you know, adding a couple guys, five guys actually in August itself. Just you know, what do you think this class is, and what do you think the potential it could be? Well, I think you know. You look at Oregon's class, and one thing that's not changed is that they're still recruiting national. They are a national brand, and they're recruiting as if they're a national brand, and they're acting as if they're a national brand, and none of that changed with the head coaching change. You know, a lot of times you you see head coaches, and their philosophy comes from maybe the school, especially first-time head coaches. Maybe their philosophy comes from the school that they were at previously, and that's the philosophy that they want to take. Well, it just so happens that Georgia has recruited nationally. If you look at the national championship game, you got Brock Bauer scoring a touchdown for Georgia. He's from California. California. You got Keely Ringo scoring a touchdown. He's from Arizona. You have, you know, at one point during the year, JT Daniels is from California. He's starting at quarterback. There are other tight ends from Nevada. So Georgia was recruiting nationally. So Dan Landing comes into Oregon, knows Oregon is already a national brand. 
let's continue to recruit and they're recruiting nationally and obviously the alpha and the omega in this class is really dante moore and what a what a coup for oregon and especially for kenny dillingham i mean obviously dan landing plays a big role in that being a head coach but you know if you're kenny dillingham and you're coming and you're you know now in charge of this offense and you can land the number two player in the country, a special generational type of quarterback like that, that's huge. And it's almost like everybody after that's icing on the cake, but they're not just looking for icing. They're still looking for more ingredients into this cake. And, you know, getting a player like Sadiq was tremendous. Getting a player like him, I mean, they, they now have the number one player in the state of Washington with Caleb Presley, the number one player in Idaho and Kenyon Sadiq, the number one player in Michigan in, in Dante Moore, uh, obviously, they got the number one player in Oregon, which they didn't have to go too far to get in Tatum Teoti. But that's four number one players. And if you've looked at these last couple of classes Oregon's had, they've had four or five guys that were the number one player in their state. So that's significant. But Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, they have the number one player in each of those three states. And I think that's what Oregon wants to be able to do. When you're not going to have deep recruiting classes in state that you can choose from, you want to at least go and get the top players in the neighboring states. And they've done that, but also have been able to go outside the Western footprint. And even since the news of the PAC 12 losing USC and UCLA and the uncertainty of where Oregon's going to, to shake out, they're still bringing in national guys. So clearly it's not causing much trepidation for recruits. Brandon, Oregon's offensive and defensive line targets. Um, they've had more success on the D-line. The offensive line still kind of they've, – they've not hit there yet. Alani Noah, Micah Buenuelos both went to USC, with Buenuelos even citing USC's move to the Big Ten as a big factor in his decision. Um, how much should we read into that for Oregon's side and its future of recruiting in the, in the Pac-10 as it currently sits now from a – are they at a disadvantage – from not being in the Big Ten like USC is and, and how they've been able to secure those commitments? No, I don't think so. And here's why. And I'll use a story I wrote about three weeks ago. When the Pac-12, kind of the announcement came, you know, obviously the, the initial reaction was, you know, what does this mean for the rest of the Pac-12? Well, obviously from a recruiting right. standpoint, I wanted to, you know, get a response from those commits to SC and UCLA, but then also those targets in Southern California, you know, what does this mean? And I thought Brandon Baker, who is the number two offensive lineman in the country in the 2024 class, had one of the most just telling and enlightening comments I've heard from anybody, not just from conference commissioners or coaches or other recruits. But and if you go, you know, I'll have you guys link the, uh, the article in, in the podcast. But in it, he essentially says something to the effect that, you know, USC is, is the home school and they're selling the home, but you know, what's home about playing six games across the country. And, you know, for a 16 year old kid to be able to grasp that and understand it, that was big because, you know, one thing that UCLA and USC have always been able to sell to Southern California kids is, Hey, come play at home. But then, you know, you're going to go to Arizona state or Arizona, you're going to go to Cal or Stanford. You're going to play in the footprint. Now you're playing games in New Jersey, in Maryland, in Pennsylvania, but the PAC 12 schools are still going to be staying in that PAC 12 footprint. So, while Ben Whalos might have cited it, I think the, the, the bigger thing is that's going to give Oregon a chance to fill a bigger void in Southern California, in you know California in general, as a result of that. So I, I think, you know, Ben Whalos is kind of a one-off on this. I think that that, you know, and, and I think Alani Noah 
you know, I don't know that the Big Ten Pac-12 affiliation had any effect on him. I think Banuelos going there, Amos Talalele flipping there had more to do with it. But right now, Banuelos is the only one. Maybe Malachi Crawford is the only other one who ended up committing to USC as well from Southern California that brought conference affiliation into it. But I think long term, I don't see it having a negative effect. Brent, I got a question about a current California footprint, West Coast footprint guy, just you know, five-star Mateo Uyangale, just an update on his recruitment and, and where does Oregon stand and, and their efforts to recruit him to come to Oregon? Well, I think Oregon is, you know, is right there on the very, 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 very short list. It really seems to be kind of a three-team race right now with Oregon, Ohio State, and USC. Alabama obviously has been, been pushing for him. Uh, he did not take an official visit there in the spring. They're trying to get him on campus this fall for an official visit. Now, if they can get him in for an official visit, then it certainly becomes a four-team race at that point. Uh, mm-hmm. His his friend Raymond Polito just committed to Alabama last weekend, You know, but there doesn't seem to be – a, a lot of thought that Mateo's going anywhere besides those three. So it now becomes Ohio State, which, you know, was able to get JT2 and Willowell, who's almost the, the exact type of prospect in terms of his athleticism, his two-way ability, his size, his skill set. Um, and Ohio State was able to get him out of the West Coast footprint. USC is obviously right there in his backyard. Uh, but Oregon, Oregon has been a one constant here in this and you've got Tosh Lapoy who is working on him. You've got, you know, so many coaches that are really making him a priority. Dan Lanning obviously was recruiting him at Georgia. So there's a lot of things working in Oregon's favor. And you know, these are recruitments that USC has kind of been 50-50 on in recent years with local kids. And a lot mm-hmm. of times they've been losing them to Oregon. So that's going to be, I mean, it's obviously the most fascinating recruitment that's left for there's an uncommitted recruit, but, you know, that's a big kind of a bell cow recruit for obviously Lincoln Riley to get a local kid that's not a skill position player on offense, but it's also a potential bell cow recruit for Dan Laney that, you know, he could go literally right into USC's backyard for an elite defender and that's why you always hope when you have a defensive head coach that that maybe trumps an offensive head coach in getting that player to come and be developed by you. Someone who has been committed to Oregon is Jerry Mixon, three-star linebacker um, out of the, the Bay Area. You had him on the YouTube page for 24-7 Sports for his commitment um, earlier this week as well. Really like this guy. I his I like his size. I like it. His running back history of playing that position. He's the younger cousin of Joe Mixon, who's currently in the NFL. Um, just your thoughts on Jerry Mixon and how he fits into Oregon's scheme program down the road. You know, he's an intriguing prospect because of his size and athleticism. Uh, but also, I, I think with, with Jerry, there's still a lot of raw potential there as a linebacker. You know, when you got a cousin who's playing in the NFL, was an All American in college at running back, and that's what you're playing in youth football, you're naturally going to think you're running back. Even the summer when I was at the Sac State Mega Camp, there was Jerry running reps with the running backs. But every camp he had gone to, aside from that, he worked at linebacker. And he's got natural athleticism that not a lot of guys his size have. So I think as he continues to develop and learn, he, you know, I don't look at him being a Noah Sewell. He's going to come in and be able to play right away because that football IQ at linebacker is so prevalent. Jerry might need a year as a redshirt 
just to continue to learn defenses, learn coverages, and to become a full-fledged linebacker because he still has some running back at the heart. But you can't teach that size, the 6'3", the 225 pounds, the length, the athleticism. I, I think a better comparison might be Drew Mathis, who coming out of high school, you know, kind of that same style of uh, body, that same style of play. Uh, although Drew kind of, you know, when he went to Juca Rat, he came back and he was kind of set at playing inside. You know, Jerry's got some positional versatility. He can play outside. You can bulk him up, put him inside. Uh, but there is a lot of upside. He screams and oozes upside and is one of the more intriguing players in Northern California this year, uh, you know, of a guy that I think his best football at that position is going to be played at the collegiate level. I'm going to ask a, a similar question for Oregon's most recent commitment with uh, Jaden Moore. Um, mm -hmm. Just same idea, just, you know, what type of player is he, what can Oregon fans expect, and then a potential like an ETA of when he might be seeing the field for a loop boy or landing defense. Yeah, he's another one of those guys that, that I love because of his basketball background. You know, the first time I heard about him was when he was a freshman at Central Valley Christian, and there was a lot of talk at that point that basketball was going to be where his future was. And so I saw him during the pandemic. Uh, there was a camp down in Fresno that would have been, you know, beginning of his sophomore season. And I looked at him thinking, okay, you know what? He better be a hell of a three-point shooter because he's not big <laughs> enough to be a, a power forward. Football might be his future. But with that size that he had and the frame, I'm looking at him thinking that's a that's an elite pass rusher. He's a guy who could stand up. He can put his hand down. You know, I think for him, you know, and you see this a lot with kind of the big jumbo athletes in, in high school that they, they go right from football to basketball. So all the weight that they put on in the offseason for football, they burn it off those first two weeks of hoops and right. conditioning. Well – you get to college and I mean, with the exception of an Eric Armstead and, you know, a Mercedes Lewis, which, you know, those are good two guys. One was 10 years ago. One was 20 years ago. Most of those times those football players come to a realization when they get to college, I'm just playing football. So I'm dedicating myself to the weight room. And with Jaden, you know, it wouldn't be a shock if he, by his second year on campus, you know, he's worked his way into the rotation. I just think he's going to need a year to, to bulk up because right now, He's got the athleticism. He's got the size to dominate in high school, but he's not overly big. He's not overly, you know, muscular like a lot of high school kids. He still maybe lacks a little bit of strength. Everything he's doing right now is based on just the natural ability, which makes his upside really scary because he's got size and length and quickness that you can see that the footwork that the basketball background contributes to. Now he just needs to bulk up you know, get it on the trading table, eat a lot of DoorDash, and gets that food. I don't know if you guys saw that article about Rutgers spending all this money on DoorDash for his players, but, hey. I did not. Get, no, I oh, didn't. I'm going to need to read it, though. It's clearly, <laughs> it's clearly not working as much as, as you thought it would be, but, yes, get some DoorDash, get some food, some smoothies, and put on that weight, but he's got everything else that you just really can't teach. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
We're speaking with national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports, Brandon Huffman. Um, Brandon, your thoughts on the state of Washington and what it's done for Oregon. Last year, the Ducks were able to sign its top player, Josh Connerly. This year, they have Caleb Presley committed. Um, that's something that hasn't happened before. Uh, considering Lanning hasn't even coached a game yet, how has he done something that Bilotti, Chip, Health, Taggart, Mario, it's a lot of Pac-12 championships, a lot of Pac-10 championships, it's national championship appearances. How has Lanning done this with and something that you know those guys haven't been able to accomplish in their times at Oregon? Well, rewind about 15 minutes ago when I mentioned that when Lanning got to Oregon, he had the philosophy that Kirby Smart did, which was to recruit nationally. And so what that means is that when Dan Lanning was at Georgia last year, one of the first big power five offers outside the Pac-12 footprint that Caleb Presley got was from Georgia. He went down to Georgia on an unofficial visit, won the camp when the when the NCAA dead period opened up last June. There's about seven, eight guys from the Northwest that went down, visited Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, and another school. But they went to visit Georgia and Dan Lanning, because of the time he had spent out west at Arizona State, was actually the guy who was kind of the, the, the primary contact and point person on that visit. So a lot of those guys that he was recruiting at Georgia were West Coast guys. So now he comes to the West Coast. That relationship is already built. And you throw in the fact that they did have a generational defense at Georgia last year. They had guys getting drafted. And then now you look at you know Washington. Sure, Keely Ringo played his last couple of years at Saguaro High School, but he's from Tacoma. Well, that resonates with a kid from Washington. They go down on their visit to Georgia. They're seeing Keely Ringo in their mind. He's not an Arizona product. He's a Washington product, and he's flourishing down there. And there's T-shirts being made for his interception. And that's resonating with a Caleb Presley, you know, when he goes down to Georgia. But now, why go down to Georgia when you can get that same coach that was coaching him and coaching that defense in Eugene? four hours from home as opposed to four hour flight from home, you know? And, and so you bring in a guy like Demetrius Martin, who's been, I think at five pack 12 schools, he was recruiting uh, Caleb when he was at Colorado, you know, you bring in a Tosh LePoy who, even though he hasn't coached in college in four or five years, Tosh is a former UW assistant. He's got contacts in the Northwest. So you bring in three or four coaches that have either coached in Washington or recruited Washington Joe Laurie, another guy who's got Northwest ties himself. Mm -hmm. So there's a number of coaches on this staff that had ties to the Pacific Northwest. And more importantly, they had pre-existing relationships with those recruits before they even got to Oregon. So now those relationships are there, but the proximity to home is much greater. It's much better than it would have been if they were on the other side of the country. But the relationships are still strong. I think that's what opened the doors so heavily for Dan Lanning and his staff to really get in with these guys late in the 20, you know, the 20, the recruitment of Josh Connolly is different. That yeah. Oregon wasn't even in his top five on new year's Eve. And when, when I talked to him, he ended up changing it and announcing a top six. And we talked about that on, on here before, but yep. you know, it, it's really what the 24, the 23 and the 24, the 25 class, there's four or five guys in the 2024 and 25 class that their first, offer came from Oregon in the state of Washington. So, you know, those relationships and Oregon's willingness to make some younger offers, I think is really paying dividends for them. Brandon, we've seen 
uh, five-star wide receiver Jurion Dickey have this meteoric rise to the tops of the recruiting charts. So now he's a consensus five-star in both the top 247 and the composite. Um, do you think his rise will continue, or is this going to be where his stand still is? And do you think that the, his high school transfer to Menlo Park in Northern California, do you think that will help him, or do you think that's just going to be – this is just the type of player who he is, and it's a really good one? Yeah, I mean, he's an elite player. Zachariah Branch is probably going to have the edge over him just because of the, the speed factor that, that he brings to the table and, you know, how guys like him are utilized in so many different aspects. Uh, but, I mean, Zachariah Branch can't sit back and get fat and happy on that number one ranking because Dreon Dickey continues to ascend. Now, you know, 24-7 sports had him in the inaugural top 100 two years ago going into that sophomore season. Others, uh, you know, other networks have been kind of late to the party. There's some that still don't even have him in the top 100, but he's always been a top 100 guy. He's always been, you know, at worst, the number two player in Northern California. But what he has done since the beginning of his junior season all the way through uh, until this summer, I mean, if there's an event, Jurion's going to it. He doesn't care the caliber of the event, whether it's a big camp, a small camp, a local camp, a national camp. He's playing seven on seven. That more than anything is what really impresses me is that he's a competitor. He would go play with the Miami Immortals one week. He would play with four different uh, seven-on-seven teams in Northern California. He just wanted – it was almost like, hey, what, what events this weekend? I want to go you know, get some action. He's like the guy who wants to go play basketball at the park every Saturday. Like, he can't sit still. He's got to go play. The other thing is, you know, Valley Christian is a great program. Obviously, they've had tremendous success. He put up great numbers. But they are a run-first offense. It would have been interesting to see him at modern day, you know, playing opposite uh, with Elijah Brown throwing the ball, playing in that offense. But now he's at Menlo Atherton where Troy Franklin played. Um, you know, Troy Franklin was the state's uh, sophomore of the year when they won the state championship. And, you know, Jurion comes in and they're going to throw the ball a little bit more. They've got some talent there. They've got some boys to fill. Jeremiah Irby, uh, who signed with Cal, uh, he's gone. So there's going to be a need for Dickey. Uh, to come in, and they they want to throw the ball. So I have a feeling he's going to put up even bigger numbers from a receiving standpoint just in the context of that offense. And then we're going to get a chance to see him in San Antonio. And if I know Jurion and seeing how he's been at national events, you know, he's going to treat San Antonio like a personal playground. We talked about Alana Noah and Michael Van Willos both committed to USC. You know, there's two options that considered Oregon. Um, with that pool of offensive linemen in the class of 2023 depleting just who are some targets that you'll anticipate Oregon going after and um, you know as with Adrian Clem as their front runner recruiter I think they're going to still keep pushing to try to get Caleb Lomu to come back up for an official visit I think that they're going to continue to harp on Spencer Fano you know and I've posted this on, on Duck Territory before but you know the connection that Adrian Clem has with Spencer Fano is via a player that Clem coach at UCLA, Xavier Suafilo, who played at Tim Few High School, started as a freshman, went on his LDS mission, and came back right as Clem was getting the job at UCLA and turned out to be the first pick in the second round in 2014. So, you know, you take a guy like Spencer Fano, who's probably the best tackle, the best player at that position Tim Few's had since Xavier Suafilo, a guy that his family's very close to, and he can turn around and say, hey, Adrian Clem developed me in my last two years at UCLA got me into the first round or got me into the to the second round, got me to the NFL where he's still collecting a paycheck. 
that's something that's going to have that, that that none of the other coaches recruiting Xavier Swift, or I'm sorry, recruiting Spencer Stefano have, with the exception of maybe BYU, where his brother is. But I know that you know Clem is working overtime to try to get Fano. It's been really interesting this year. Like, there's not any super great offensive linemen in California. Yeah. There's there's good offensive linemen in California, but there's not great offensive linemen. So, you know, Oregon and a lot of the other schools in the Pac-12 have had to go into Arizona, go into Utah, and, and try to find linemen because there's just not the top. I mean, even the best linemen in, in California this year are mostly guards, like a, uh, you know, like an Alani Noah, uh, like a, uh, I'm blanking on the kid's name, Simeone Pale from Elk yeah. Grove is going to Stanford. I mean, it's, it's very guard heavy. There's not a lot of tackles in the 2023 class. So, what I could also see happening is, you know, with not a lot of options left, you don't want to just – offensive line is the one position. You don't want to just offer a jag at in the fall, a guy who's just going to feel depth. You'd rather turn your attention and pivot to – and I, I could see this scenario playing out where then he pivots and focuses on DeAndre Carter and Brandon Baker and Isenje Afua from Washington more rather than trying to find maybe low-hanging fruit in the 2023 class – Instead, start to turn it up with the 2024s. Sticking with that offensive line and going back a class, Josh Connerly, um, turning heads at Oregon in fall camp right now. Adrian Clem said that he's not afraid of starting a true freshman if he's one of his best players. Um, he's been – we don't get to watch a lot of practice at, at Oregon, but the, the parts that we do, he has taken uh, some first-team reps. Um due to injury and guys being unavailable, that, have to, that has to be noted. But did you feel like when he was coming out of high school, this was a guy who would day one play or, you know, kind of a similar comparison to this, maybe be Ty Thompson, where he was rated on his potential to become a really good player in three or four years down the road. And that's why he was so highly rated. Yeah, it was a combination of the two. I thought that, you know, the biggest thing, you know, goes back to what I was talking about with Jaden Moore. With Josh Connerly, it was a matter of putting on the weight and strength because, again, you know, he didn't enroll until the summer because he was playing hoops his senior year. Yeah. Uh, I think Beach made it to the state championship game, lost in the finals. So, you know, he wanted to get a state championship ring of some sort, ended up a runner-up. But basketball was always his, his first sport, his favorite sport. He wasn't going to quit that. And it may have cost him, you know, two or three months of putting on that weight. But really with Connerly, my the only pause that I had with him was just he might have needed a year to get stronger. But I thought his his football IQ, his acumen, his footwork, his magical footwork, you know, his frame, his length all show me. And, and knowing Clem and watching Clem at UCLA, you know, in, in year two of Adrian Clem at UCLA, they started three true freshmen on the offensive line the second half of the season and they won 10 games that year and you know he started three true freshmen so i know he's never been averse to starting a true freshman and Connerly was further along than any of those three offensive linemen he started as true freshmen at ucla you know this is the highest rated recruit he himself has ever brought in so i knew that he had the ability to come in into the 2d but i also thought going to Oregon was a good situation for him and that with all the returning starts on the offensive line he wouldn't get rushed in. He would have the chance to kind of develop physically, but it's from the sounds of it, he's turning those heads. And, it, you know, it's not a surprise. There was a reason we had him in the top 10 in the country overall and the number one tackle, despite maybe being 20, 30 pounds lighter than all the other linemen ranked behind him. 
Brandon, we'll end it with this one. Uh, the Ducks sit 14th in the rankings nationally. Uh, they're second in the Pac-12. It's been four years in a row that the Ducks have had the best recruiting class in the Pac-12. Just your thoughts on Oregon getting into that top 10 by the end of the year. And look, I understand that 14 and 10, there's not much difference. But from a marketing standpoint, it is. Um, and then what? maybe the bigger question here is, can Oregon beat USC for the top class and, and claim that, that award for a fifth year in a row? Is that still on the table, you feel like? Yeah, I think it's on the table. I think obviously it's going to be, you know, predicated on them landing guys like a Spencer Fano, you know, landing yeah. some of the, the highly rated top 50, top 60 guys. You know, one thing that we're really seeing with the 2023 class, G- June and July kind of turned into December, uh, the early mm-hmm. signing period. There were so many guys that came off the table in June, in the first week in July after the camp circuit. I mean, if you look out West, you know, if you, you look at the top five guys that are available in the West right now, you've got Spencer Fano, Oregon's in the mix for it. you got Mateo Oyangalele, Oregon's in the mix for it. you got Roderick Present, Oregon's in the mix for it. You've got uh, Deuce Robinson, Oregon's probably not in the mix as much for him. I know that they, they, they tried with him, but it's looking more like a USC-Louisville battle right now there. Uh, but, you know, you throw that, Tosilia Kana, probably looking national. But three of the top five remaining guys out West – uh, and, and really four out of the top six, if you throw Blake Nicholson in there, who Oregon was leading in the crystal ball for at one point before his visit to Florida State, you know, Oregon can realistically still end up with four more top 100, 150 guys from out west. And that doesn't even take into account some of the national guys that they're still going to be battling for. So it's not unrealistic to think. It's just that the pickings are becoming a little bit slimmer yeah. of those highly rated guys that help you make that move four or five spots. Brandon, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate the time and the insight into Oregon Duck football recruiting, guys that they're going after and beyond. Uh, have you on the show as we get closer to December, which is like about four week, four months away from signing day, which is just stupid to think about. It, it won't be long before Sirius XM has the Holly Christmas Channel plan. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. Appreciate it. You bet, fellas. Thanks for having me.